All right. The Lord be with you. You can take a seat real quick here. Um, it's good to see you this morning. Aren't you glad? Man, I'm like personally so glad to be able to be in God's house, to be with you people on a Sunday morning, all the things happening in our world. It's good to be together. I'll have you take a seat real quick. Do you know uh, that we are just seven short weeks away from Easter Sunday? I know, right? Hallelujah. Let's be done with winter as soon as possible. I love, I'm going to invite Joanna Rosier to the stage here. Would you give Joanna a hand as she comes forward? This, um, the church has always marked this season uh, heading into Easter. Uh, it's called, uh, it's Lent is the old word for it. And it's an old Latin word that just means spring. And in the history of the church, those 40 days before Easter Sunday were historically, actually they would use that time as a time for people who were getting ready to be baptized on Easter Sunday for them to like learn the essentials of the faith. And over time, what happened is the church said, actually, uh, if Easter Sunday is like a moment when people take their baptismal vows for the first time, then what we all ought to do is we all ought to use that space as a space to remember our own baptismal vows. Like, what does it mean to follow the Lord? And so this uh, space, the space of Lent, became a time of increased prayer and devotion, a readying of hearts for the Lord for the joy of Easter Sunday. So as you know, kind of our three big things that we talk about for New Life East this year are prayer, engagement, and invitation. And uh, there's an opportunity to engage more in the arena of prayer during this season of Lent that we want to tell you about. So our good friends at 24-7 Prayer, Pete Gregg is the international director of that. As you know, we've partnered with them to make the World Prayer Center a place for like, it's like the national hub for 24-7 Prayer. And they've developed a fantastic resource for helping us pray that Joanna Rosier is going to tell yeah, you about this morning. I'm going to tell you about it because he called me up here not because I'm good at prayer, but because I am poor at prayer. So um, I think a lot of you can probably relate. I found myself about um, a year or two ago in a very overwhelming life situation. My brother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He was in his 30s. Like, it's, it was really bad. And I, um, as I've been thinking about the Ukraine and all the things going on, I realize how much I learned from that season. Because um, I think a lot of us come in here very overwhelmed. And I think that our lives are very overwhelming. And the circumstances, the things that we can't control are unknown. And we don't really know how to deal with it. And I don't know about you, but um, I'm, I'm fight, flight, and freeze. I'm a flight. But when it comes to prayer, I'm a freeze. Mm. So I get overwhelmed and I'm just like, mm. I'm not doing it because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I just don't know. And I don't feel like it. But I've been a Christian long enough that I, I knew at that time when my brother was diagnosed and we had all sorts of upheaval in our church and not this one <laughs> and another one. Mm -hmm. And um, and I just knew like I couldn't do it. And so um, and I wasn't praying. And um, I was reading my Bible, and the Lord was speaking to me through that. And he gave me a scripture that said that we look to the things that are unseen yeah. because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I know he's talking to me, and I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not engaging with the Lord. And it kind of was this morning when you said that scripture that I realized what he did. Mm. And can you say the first part of that scripture you used this morning about understanding? Oh, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God, Amen. Psalm 73. Amen. Yeah. Like, and he said that this morning in our huddle, and I thought, that's what the Lord did for me. Yeah. And Andy said, hey, I want you to do this one particular day on this app called Lectio 360. Hmm. And I remember where I was driving on 90. If you're from Chicago, you know where that is. And I was driving, and as soon as I listened to it, the rhythm of what they were doing. And they say, like, it's the, the same prayer every time, but I didn't know that then. They're like, stop, take a deep breath and just slow down. And I felt my brain just like, oh, yeah. I needed this. Mm -hmm. I needed this because I haven't let my brain slow down because I haven't known what to do. And then it took me through 10 minutes of a guided prayer and meditation. And what it did for me was kind of three things. Number one, it gave me words when I had no words. Yeah. And words I didn't, I didn't want to even come up with them on my own. Um, and I think we're in a season like that. There's so much that's out of our control. And um, I think there's a lot of you that even like the Ukraine seems small because there's so much going on in your little area and you want to be concerned about that. But sometimes it's, our own things are so present in front of us that it's really right. hard. Um, and so this 
gave me words to say when I had no words. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that it, it created a space for me to just rest in the Lord, mm -hmm. which, and that's the connection that I was missing. And it's the thing that I needed to go into the sanctuary of the Lord because I didn't understand. And the Lord was beckoning me and saying, I want you to understand. I want you to understand why you can look at unseen things and why the seen things are not the real things. Hmm. But without spending that time in prayer, I was never gonna understand that scripture mm -hmm. and what he was beckoning me to do. And the other thing was rhythm. It gave me a rhythm. The prayers in there are very rhythmical. They're all different every day, but you start with the one with the same and you end with the same. And what we're missing in our world so many times is that rhythm yeah. um, in our seasons yep. and in our families and in our own hearts, because rhythm and gives us predictability and places to put our feet. Yeah. And it gave me a place where my feet belonged because I'm all, you're always welcome in the presence of the Lord. And whether it was in my car or whether it was in um, my earbuds when I got to work because I didn't have time and it was a crazy, whenever it was, yeah. it doesn't matter. And they have a morning prayer and an evening prayer. And that rhythm became such a rhythm for me. And um, my brother was also doing it at the same time. And it gave us words to talk to one another mm -hmm. and to talk about things that are eternal together before he passed. Mm. And that was a gift that I can't, um, I can't ever repay to be able to have those things. Mm. So as fast forward and moving here, they also have a family Lectio, which we started with That's our awesome. kids when we moved here um, a month and a half ago because they need rhythm. Like we uprooted them and they need rhythm and they need something to count on. And it has given us that sustainability so of rhythm. Like we do the creeds and we do Perfect. the Lord's prayer and it just creates that in a space because that's why we do that here at church so that we go home and do it. But I know that there are seasons like I was in that we don't do those things hmm. um, in our own hearts and during our week. And we really rely on church to be able to help us do those. But this was something that I could have church every morning and every night at home and have that rhythm and that continuity so and be good. in the presence of the Lord when I needed it the most. So good. Can you give it up for Joanna Rosier again? Thank you, Joanna. One of the things that Pastor Brady has been saying, Pastor Brady is our senior pastor, New Life North over all of our congregations. And he's been saying lately that we will either be in the time that we're living in, we will either be an angry people or we will be a prayerful people. And the choice that I'm making, the choice that he's making, the choice that our leadership team is making, the choice that I hope that you will make is to be a prayerful people. And the best thing that we can give to a world that's in tumult and chaos is we can give them our hearts anchored in the presence of God and the truth of God, trusting that God reigns over the nations and that he is seated on his throne and that all of the kings of the earth belong to God and he is greatly exalted. And when we anchor ourselves in prayer, we remember that and we help draw the world into that reality. Amen? I'm going to be in the, the Psalms this morning. I've got a bunch of Psalms I'm going to weave together. We're continuing our series on who is God, looking at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've spent the last seven or so weeks looking at the Father, who the Father is for us in creation. Uh, we said that he's the good creator. He makes his world to be a place of flourishing and abundance. We looked at who the Father is for us when we fail, when we walk away from him, that he's the God that doesn't walk away from us. But he keeps walking after us. He keeps asking us the question, where are you? Which, as we said, is not God gathering information, but it's God helping us locate ourselves inside his mercy and grace. And we've looked at who the Father is for us in the covenant, that he's the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. We saw that he's the God that makes and keeps his promises. We also saw that through the covenant, he forms us as his children, shapes us to be his people. And now, apropos to the subject matter at hand. We're talking about what it looks like for the Father to be the King of the whole earth this morning. And so I'm going to start in Psalm 24, and I'm going to weave a few different psalms together to show you this theme and to try to bring it home to you. Before we open the scriptures together, let's pray. Yeah, it's true that the psalmist said, when I tried to understand all of these things. It was just oppressive to me. It beat my spirit down until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. So we just pray that the light of truth would wash over our minds this morning. 
And we pray that the strength of the promise of the coming reign of God, the kingdom of God, would rinse through our hearts this morning. That all we're anxious about, all that we are oppressed about, all that we are fearful and fretting about, that all of that stuff would wash away. And that we would find new faith and hope and confidence emerging in our hearts. We ask that these moments that we have together, opening the scriptures and then coming to the table of the Lord, would be a place of remembrance, not just mentally, but we pray that you would remember us, put us back together again as members of the body of the incarnate and resurrected Son of God, Jesus the Lord, who has been seated far above all earthly power and authority and dominion and every title that can be given. Help us remember that we're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that we are literally at the Father's right hand, that our lives are completely secure in you, and our world has a good future because of who you are. Help us remember all those things and more. This morning we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Psalm 24, hear the word of the Lord. The psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's. Everybody say the earth is the Lord's. Man, there's a confession for you. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't trust in an idol or swear by what is false, they will receive blessing from the Lord. And vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. O God of Jacob, and now we're going to learn something about the God of Jacob, verse 7. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the, fill in the blank for me, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Well, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Who is Israel's God? The psalmist answers unequivocally, he's not just a local tribal deity who helped Israel get out of a jam when Israel was in trouble, not just the God that Israel happens to prefer above all the other gods, but the earth is the Lord's, right? And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And he's not just a local tribal deity over here, but he's the God of all the earth. And so the psalmist says, lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you everlasting doors, that who may come in? The King of glory, the Lord of hosts, he calls him, I love that, the old Hebrew for that is Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of the hosts of heaven. Eugene Peterson translates it so well in the Message Bible when he says, God of the angel armies, the all-powerful one. That's what we say in the creed, by the way, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, that's right, the maker of heaven and earth, that all power in heaven and earth belongs to God. And that's a place that we can rest our hearts. I remember being a little kid and uh, I had such reverence for my dad when I was a little guy. I still do. My reverence for him has grown. My respect for him has grown as a year. But when I was little, my dad to me was just like this superhero. And I thought he was cool and amazing and had all these great abilities. And he wore a suit to work every day and a tie. And I just, so in my mind, I was like, my dad is the junk. I love my dad. And my mom and I, I was an only child until I was about six years old, so my mom and I spent a lot of time together. And uh, one of the games that we played is I would pull out all my little cars and trucks and stuff. And my dad worked at a car dealership. He was a salesman there. And so, and I loved going to my dad's work, all these cool cars and trucks and all that stuff. So when I was home with my mom, uh, he worked at the place that he worked at was V&H Automotive. So when I was home with my mom, we would play V&H. And we pull out all my little cars and trucks and line them up. And sometimes I would put on, you know, like a polo shirt or whatever and try to look nice like my dad or whatever. And that's me idolizing my dad. And I remember one day it occurred to me while we were playing V&H to ask my mom the question, is my dad the boss of V&H? You know what I mean? Like I love my dad and I have great respect for my dad, but is my dad also the most powerful person in his world? You know what I mean? That's in my mind, this was like an important thing. And so I asked my mom, I go, mom, is dad the boss? And she looked at me quizzically, like, why would that even matter to you? I was like probably four years old, you know, why would that even matter to you? And she goes, well, no. And you know what I did? I burst into tears. Total meltdown. What? My dad. 
But he's cool and everything, but I guess he's not powerful, right? Somehow that was a great insult to my view of the world or something, you know. But it actually is the question that we're asking. Deep down, I think the religious question is, is the God that we have signed up for, is he powerful? Is he the boss? Is he in charge? You know, this is what the entire Old Testament story is. The entire Old Testament story, one way to read it, is that it's the story of God making manifest his identity as the Lord of all the earth. This is why I think when you read Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the way through Samuel and the Kings, this notion of kingship is such an important notion. It's who's in charge. And when Israel would be defeated in battle by their enemies, it wasn't just a political insult, it was a religious insult. What needed to be made manifest was that our God is the king of all the earth. Everything belongs to God. And so the psalmists everywhere affirm that this is in fact the case, that the God that Israel worships is in fact the all-powerful one of all the earth. Psalm 93, the psalmist says, The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and he is armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Friends, we could drop into the Psalms almost at random to see this theme at work. But the psalmist believes that everything is subordinate to Israel's God. That our God is king of all the earth and therefore we sing to him a psalm of praise. And the kingship of our father, I'll make this point to you, guarantees the good order of the world that we live in. The seas have lifted up their voice, right? But mightier than all of that, the Lord on high is mighty. His kingship, when we say that our father is the king, part of what we're affirming in that is that his power upholds the orderliness of the world that we live in. That the reason that it doesn't spin off into chaos, the reason it doesn't fly apart as, at the seams, is because God holds all things together by the word of his might. It's his personal presence that guarantees it. This, I think, also is part of the role of fatherhood. I remember my dad, again, when I was a kid, uh, I told you last week, the aunts have this uh, nothing is ever like really out of order in aren't lands, you know, a very orderly people. And I remember when I was a kid growing up, I've got three younger siblings and we could just make a disaster of the house during the day, you know. And then when five o'clock, six o'clock would roll around and it was time for my dad to come home, my mom all of a sudden would send the signal to us. Hey guys, it's time to put the house in order, you know, and everybody would run around scrambling on a, putting the place back in order. Why were we doing that? Because dad's coming home. And we know that dad's presence somehow means that there's going to be an orderliness, you know. And my dad would walk in and if there were things that were still out of order, he'd say, hey, can we take care of that? Can we take care of that? Hey, can we put that away? Can we make sure? And something about dad's presence like restores order, you know. And I remember my dad one day, he walked in, uh, came in from work through the garage into the kitchen. That was kind of the entryway that he came into. And during the day, my siblings had been wrestling around like in the kitchen and one of them had bumped the island real strong, like it smashed into our little island. And it actually got it off kilter by 18 inches or so. And so my mom and siblings, you know, they'll like, put the island back together, get it all. And it's a pretty obvious place that you need to put it. You know, there's no like tile or linoleum or whatever underneath there. So they got it back where it <laughs> my dad, he walks in the door that night and the first thing that he says, he goes, uh, who moved the island? <laughs> he goes, how, how did you know that it's been moved? He goes, well, it's off by about an eighth of an inch, you know. So when I walk in, I line up the corner of the island with that seam in the wall over there. And that's how I... But do you know, that's a drop in the ocean of God's attentiveness to the world that he has made. That there's nothing that escapes his notice. It was one of the, to me, that was like annoying as a kid. Duh, dang it, Dad. I just wish that you would pay less attention, maybe. I got us, but it was actually a good thing. Nothing escapes the Father's notice. And I, when I think about the way that many people think about the world that we live in, a lot of people kind of think that the reason the world goes the way that it goes is simply because God kind of wound up the clock and it's just sort of a machine and it just kind of keeps going. But I don't think that that's what the Bible teaches. I think that what the Bible teaches about the world that we live in 
is that the reason that it is orderly, the reason that it goes the way that it goes, is because our God is personally present to it. And he's attentive to it. The scripture says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. That what he's always doing into our world is he's always speaking his order, his justice, his reign into it. And that's what guarantees the orderliness of the world that we live in. G.K. Chesterton, one of the great authors of the 20th century, put it so well when he said this. He said that the very speed and ecstasy of the life of God has about it the aroma of a kind of stillness. He says the sun rises every morning. I don't rise every morning, he says, but my variation is due not to my activity, but to my inaction. He says, now to put the matter in a popular phrase, it might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to lifelessness, but to a rush of life. Listen to this carefully. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children when they find some game or joke that they especially enjoy. A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are free in spirit and fierce, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. The child is always saying, do it again. You ever seen that with little kids? You swing them around, you know, they go, do it again. That was fun. He says, but the grown-up person then does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough, he says, to exalt in monotony. <laughs> it is possible, he says, but perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he's never gotten tired of making daisies. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. <laughs> what is it that makes our world go? It's the love of our God. It's the grace of our Father. It's the justice of our Father. He keeps speaking to our world, saying, let it be, let it be, let it be. This morning, he said, let there be light, and there was light. This morning, he said, let the land produce living creatures. This morning, he said, let there be blood flowing in your veins and air in your lungs to make you alive. This morning, he woke, he, that's, that's our God. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 148, he says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, night lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why are we praising God? Because his power is over the heavens and the earth. Because nothing escapes his notice. And he can be trusted. He can be trusted to guarantee the good outcome of the world that we live in. Can I get an amen from somebody? The order that the Father guarantees by the word of his power, I want to also say to you, extends into the moral sphere as well. That it's not just that God's speech and activity, it's not just that God's attentiveness guarantees the natural order and rhythm of creation, but our Father's kingship also means justice for his people. It means justice for his people. That there's nothing about the moral sphere that we live in that escapes his notice. God is a God of justice, the psalmist says. Blessed are all who wait for him. And this also, I have learned, goes with the territory of fatherhood. It goes with the territory of parenthood. I have four kids of my own. And there is, I've learned this in 16 years of being a parent, that predictably there is nothing that gets me more upset more quickly than one of my kids being taken advantage of. 
Now I'm paying attention to all the stuff that's happening in my home and I'm making sure that we're getting bills paid on time and that the toys are being picked up and I'm trying to make sure that people are getting to bed on time and all of that, all of those things. And Mandy too, our parenthood of our children, it extends into that sphere just making sure that we're running an orderly household. But it's when somebody is being taken advantage of in our household, nothing awakens the lion in us faster than that. I remember five or six years ago, we were living in Denver and we caught wind that one of our kids was being bullied at school. And Mandy comes and reports this to me and she tells me the details of it. And I watched and she was transfigured before me. (laughs) Her eyes became like this flame of fire, you know, and she was clothed in clothing that was whiter than any launderer in the world could ever bleach it, you know, and the glory of God shone through her and she was, the clouds were under her feet. And I'd actually never seen that from my wife before. And it scared me personally. I actually felt like going to the school and trying to defend that poor child that she was about to. And Mandy, she leaned into the school administration so fast. Do you understand what has happened to my child? And all of a sudden there was justice for our kids. Why? Because a parent paid attention to it. Because a parent took notice of it. Somebody that's in covenant relationship with those kids and has signed up for like whatever it costs me, I'm going to do right by you. You know what Jesus says of his disciples in John 17? He's getting ready. This is his high priestly prayer. He's getting ready to leave them and go back to the Father. And you know what he says? He says, while I was with them, Father, I protected them and I kept them safe. And he turns them over to the Father and he says, now that I'm going, you protect them, O God, by the power of your name. Righteous Father, protect them. You know what the first obligation of a parent is? To protect the children and to keep them safe. And when we as parents feel that awaken in us, we're touching something of the image of God in us. God's obligation to us, to the whole world that he has made as the father of all, is to protect it and to keep it safe. I think about the great quote of Martin Luther King Jr., He said that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. You ever heard that quote before? And I've thought long and hard about that quote and I love that and I think it's true. That the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. That the end of the story as we confess it in the creed and all throughout the scriptures is that there's a day coming when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. There's a moment coming when all justice will finally be done. The moral arc of the universe is long and it does bend towards justice. But do you know why I think it does bend towards justice? Because the strong arm of our Father is bending it towards justice. Justice doesn't just happen in God's world. Justice happens because God makes it happen. It happens because the Father who cares for each one of us is bending the events of our world in a way that reflects his own reign over all things. Here again, the words of the psalmist, Psalm 10. The psalmist says, but you, O God, take this to heart, friends. The psalmist says, but you, O God, you see trouble, the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you and you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. Verse 16. But the Lord is king forever and ever, and the nations will perish from his land. But you, God, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never strike terror again. This is our God. And I could get up here and tell you story after story after story after story of how I have seen this play out in the lives of God's faithful people. I think about a woman that Colin and I uh, were meeting with not too long ago, uh, married for 25 years, going through an ugly divorce. Her, Her husband was this awful guy, abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, and then finally decided to cut bait with her and she didn't have good legal representation and was worried that the outcome of this divorce was going to be her being left with just about nothing. And she came to us and she said, I don't know what to do. You know what we said to her? Welcome to the club. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on the God of justice. And so so we prayed with her, God, we're asking you for your justice. The victims commit themselves to you. You're the helper of the fatherless. You're the one who's revealed yourself in this way to your people. So come through on her behalf. And she had 
a court hearing to work through all the details of that. She got back to us not long after that. She said, you won't believe it. The judge awarded me more than I could have asked for. It's like a sovereign act of God's justice. He did it. He broke through. Thanks be to God for that. Or I think about a family that I know, a blended family, stepdad, a couple kids and wife, and the ex-husband was constantly just creating disorder in this household. All of his actions and trying to take care of the kids. And when he would take them for a little bit, they would, he would return them back to the family. And just chaos all the time. And I remember as they were telling me the story, they're saying, you know, we just waited on God. We knew that there were ungodly ways to handle this and there were godly ways to handle this. And so we made it a matter of prayer. Lord, you see this. Lord, would you bring order? Would you bring justice? Would you do what's right for our children? Would you take this area of chaos and injustice? Would you push it out? And they said, we finally decided, out of a great deal of prayerfulness, we finally decided to approach him and just ask him, what is it that you want in this? What do you really want? And he had this one little bargaining chip. Like, if you'll just do this for me, I'll sign over all of my, like, visitation rights and all of that. You can have everything. They go, it was an easy thing to give. We just asked, and he gave it. Somehow, God's justice broke through. I don't know what your thing is that you're struggling with this morning. But all of us have some area where we're going, God, where are you? I'm saying to you that you can trust God for this. And one of the things that fills me, I think, with an, I read this all the time when I read the prophets, is I read how often God says that he's going to break through for his people. But he says, I'm doing it because my own name is on the line with you. Do you know that God is more passionate about seeing justice happen in your situation than you are? Do you realize that? But his heart burns for justice. He's the just one. The only reason that we have just thoughts in our minds or just desires in our hearts is because the just one has planted them in us in the first place. I don't know what your thing is, but I'm saying that you can trust God for it. I don't know where you're being taken advantage of. I don't know where you're being abused. I don't know where your life feels like it's being torn to shreds or ground to powder, but God, from cover to cover in the scriptures, everywhere, he reveals himself as the God of justice. I'm saying to you that you can trust him. Now, the challenge, and with this, we'll start making our way to communion, is that oftentimes the Father's justice is long in coming. And there are some of you in this room that you've got things that you have been praying about for a long, long time. Years. You've been waiting on God to break through in this or that situation, holding that area of ache before the Lord. And you also join a long company of people who have had to learn to exist in the waiting space. And when I think about this, when I think about how God's justice is sometimes long in coming, I think about a story that Jesus tells in the, in the New Testament, the book of Luke chapter 18, the parable of the unjust judge. And you might know the story. Scripture says that there was once a woman in a town that had an adversary. She was a widow. She had an adversary coming against her. And she kept going to the judge in the town saying, would you grant me justice against my adversary? And the scripture says that this judge was known to be an unjust judge. He actually says, even though I don't fear God or care about people, that's how the scripture describes it, that he's a person who doesn't fear God, he doesn't care about people, but the woman keeps coming to him. Grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. And finally, as she keeps coming to him, he decides to relent. He says, you know, even though, let's just think about this, it's like the worst speech in the history of speeches. He goes, even though I don't fear God and I don't care about people, I will see to it that she gets justice And quickly so that she doesn't eventually wear me out with her coming. And this is what Jesus says. He says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He says, I see, I tell you that he will see to it that they get justice and quickly. That our God is not like the unjust judge. That he doesn't need to be badgered. That he doesn't need to be sort of forced to a place where he finally goes, oh, I've just had enough of you. Just leave me alone already. That's not our God. Our God is our heavenly father who cares about us and wants to break through on our behalf. Jesus says he will see to it that they get justice and quickly. And then he ends his teaching with this. And this is what you need to pay attention to. Jesus says, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, when we approach prayer, more often than not, the question that we ask is, is God going to be good to his word? Will God be faithful? 
Will God show up? Will God make manifest his justice? And Jesus takes that question that we are asking and he turns it on its head. And he says, do you know the real question about prayer is not will God give justice? We know that God will give justice because that's the kind of God that he is. The real question is, will we be there to see it when it happens? That's what prayer is. Prayer is our waiting on the God of justice and staying in that place of waiting so that the moment when the justice breaks in, we were there to see it and give glory to his name. And I'm thinking about that now with the situation in Ukraine. And I'm thinking about how our God is a God of justice and how our God has his name on the line with the people of Ukraine. And the question that we are asking is, will God be faithful? But the question that God is asking is, will we be faithful? Will we remain in prayer? I want to show you this. I ran across this video last night. I'll show you this and then we'll prepare ours for communion. This is in Kiev. The sirens became the soundtrack of a capital city under attack today. Below us, as we broadcast, Ukrainian troops hurrying for cover. The boxes carry the ammunition with which they will endeavor to defend this place when the Russians come. And then an altogether different sound. The bells ringing out from the golden domed cathedral named after St. Michael, appropriately enough, the protector of Kiev. And below, by the mural, we witnessed this. We don't know her name, we don't know her at all, but we could guess what she was praying for. It was a moment to remember yes. in an inexplicable war, which with every passing hour closes in on this city. A city where the AK-47 has joined the phone as the must-have accessory. A city where they pray their country and their freedom can survive whatever the coming days bring. Mark Austin, Sky News, Kiev. What was she praying? Maybe she was praying with the woman in Luke 18. Grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary, or maybe and more likely she was praying the words that we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, would you stand, church? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now, friends, I want you to hold in your hands right now. Hold them real high. All the things that you're contending for in your life, the places where you need God's justice to break in, the place where you need God's mercy to break in, the places where you need God's righteousness to come and to come speedily, the things that you're holding, your prayers for the Ukraine, your prayers for our country, your prayers for your family and for your children, your prayers for your friends, your prayers for your church, all of the places where you're contending that the Father of all would make himself manifest again as the God of justice. Hold those things now before the Lord. And what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to release them straight to the heavens like this. And we say these concerns are your concerns, oh God. These matters are your matters. Our families are your families. Our children are your children. Our marriages are your marriages. The countries of the earth are your countries. The nations of the earth, they're your nations. The peoples of the earth, they're your peoples. As you say in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. And who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? those who have clean hands and pure hearts. So we're saying, purify us this morning. Cleanse us this morning, we pray. 
Cleanse us to be a people who are always saying, on behalf of the world, open up the gates that the King of Glory may come in. And so we're saying this morning, King of Glory, come in. Step into our lives. Step into our country. Step into the nations of the earth again and make yourself manifest as the God of justice. We're praying all that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's respond in worship and then Pastor Rory is going to lead us to the table.
Father, we have released our injustices to you this morning. We have handed them to you. So now in this moment, God, we come to receive. We come to sit at your table, which is truly the source of all justice. And a deep reminder that justice does not always look the way we think it should. Jesus, we remember on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it. You said, this is my body, which is given for you, which will cover all the injustices, will be the source to which we find the true justice of God. So New Life East, would you take that bread, would you break it, and would you eat? That same night, Jesus took a cup filled with wine and he said, this is my blood which will be shed for you, which will appear to all of us as injustice in the moment, but will somehow secure justice for God's people. So New Life East, would you take and would you drink? Now, would you respond by singing the doxology? I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary. And that's when I understood that if God is for us, if God is for us, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? And so all over the world, we pray that that would be true. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? God grant it, come with your kingdom. Come with your justice. 
and hallow your name from one end of the earth to the other. May the universe scream the holiness of the name of our God and may peace accompany that hallowing. Grant it, we pray. Now, people of God, open your hands. Receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. If you've uh, never been introduced to a relationship with Jesus before, this God of whom we speak this morning is new to you. We'd love to introduce you to a relationship with God this morning. Stay behind for fellowship hour. Enjoy coffee and donuts and the people of God, the fellowship of the people of God. If you're new, see us at Connect Central. No more words from me. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.